welcome back to The Lighthouse Project. This podcast is presented to you by Children of Scientology, a collaborative effort which aims to be informative about the issues which have affected the youngest members of Scientology. In this podcast, we are going to share stories and information, some details of which may be upsetting or disturbing for listeners, specifically content involving sexual assault, rape, child sexual abuse, and psychological and physical abuse of children. We encourage anyone who has been affected by these types of experiences who wish to talk about it to someone to reach out to a trauma-informed organization in their area. In our last episode, we were joined by Liz Gale to discuss the prosecution's closing statements in the Danny Masterson trial. Christy and I continue on from that conversation specifically in regards to Deputy DA Errol Anson's statement in which she said of Danny Masterson, Now, like all predators, he sought out his prey. Most were members of the Church of Scientology, and that makes sense. In Scientology, rape isn't rape. You caused this, and you are never allowed to go to law enforcement. What a better hunting ground. They make the child think that they're an adult. They make other adults think that children are adults. They remove the age and the protection. Scientology is a perfect breeding ground for child abuse, for child sexual abuse, for sure. And, oh, it just hurts my, I said breeding ground, but but breeding and hunting ground. Yeah, she said, and that makes sense. His victims are all Scientologists, and it makes sense. It really is a safe space for predators. There's no victims. Rape isn't rape. Children aren't children. And the only justice you can get is by buying it. We will sell it to you. That's it. Yeah. There is a line in Dianetics about the seven-year-old girl should not object to being kissed even passionately by a man. I'm just paraphrasing, right? Now, some Scientologists might object to that and say, oh, that doesn't mean I believed that sexual abuse was okay or that a man kissing a seven-year-old child was okay. But for a sexual predator to read stuff like this to understand that they're in a group that does not consider this to be a crime that there is no consequences for their actions it's a breeding ground as you said hunting ground yes they're both of those things they are both of those things and i know specifically of a situation where a scientologist father was raping his scientologist daughter i'm not going to go into details because i want to protect the victim i'm just trying to give an example In that case, he had communicated to her this idea of, you know, that, yeah, she wasn't a child to him. This understanding that you live lifetime after lifetime and really you're a big Satan in a small body, but your body is meaningless. It's just a vessel. So the age of your body, like who cares? You're an ageless being. There's no such thing as vulnerability by age. That was part of the dialogue years later that he had said this was part of the story, that she wasn't a child and she wasn't his daughter because she is this ageless spiritual being. We see that also in the dialogue of mothers and fathers who disconnect from their own children. They say, oh, you've lived for many lifetimes and in in this last lifetime you were somebody else and maybe you're my daughter this lifetime, but next lifetime, who knows? And I'm just here for the betterment of all mankind. This relationship is completely annihilated. You're annihilating reality, in fact. And so the boundaries that should be in place, the reasons why we have laws, the reasons why we have these systems in place to protect people, these don't exist inside Scientology. No, there's no protection. And I just want to add one thing, and that is that I have a friend and I've heard of other children who 
had sexual relationships with a parent whose story was that they had past life track with them, that they were married in a past life, and that's why it was okay that they were attracted yes. to their child this lifetime because 500 years ago, you were my wife, you were my concubine, you were my whatever. So it's just delusion. And it makes it just makes it okay. And you could get that off in session. It would be like, woohoo, your needle's floating. Fantastic. You're recognizing that you're a spiritual being who has mm-hmm. existed for the past trillions of years. You're lining up yeah. right there with what Albert exactly. Hubbard said. End phenomena. Woo-hoo. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, and now you're clear. You know what I mean? You can be rewarded and celebrated. Just reality is not reality. Truth is not truth. Bend everything and turn it the opposite way. You, you said that somewhere where you're like, Take everything and make it opposite. If we could just go, let's assume everything that we were taught is backwards. Let's look at it that way for a little bit and see what that lens looks like. I think that would help us in our healing process because we're trying to stick to this, all this grooming and indoctrination, and it's just super hard. So if we would just jump ahead to, let's pretend it's backwards, might be useful because they seem to flip everything. Everything seems to be backwards day to me. Yeah, I do very strongly believe, to your point, that it breeds predators because you're removing consequences for actions. You're instilling ideas that are completely incorrect and harmful that a seven-year-old child cannot object to being kissed even passionately by a man. This book has been republished again and again through Scientology. They've never removed that line. When I was looking into this in 2017, after my episode had aired, I went to find that most recent release and it was still in there i couldn't believe it because if you remember david miscavige went through all the basic books it was this whole project that all the scientologists had to rebuy these books all the basic books and lectures were, were reviewed and redone they destroyed all the other versions and then sold the new versions to people and cleaned them up but yeah it's interesting that they didn't remove yes. that i guess that you have to be careful how you or a revisionist in Scientology is quite delicate because you're not allowed to change anything that LRH said or did. And yet they seem to be getting away with making these little funky tweaks here and there carefully. It's so crazy because a Scientologist back in the 90s, like early 90s, let's say, and prior, would just fall off their chair if they had heard the amount of changes. So I guess what we're pointing to is like they'll change some things then don't change other things that are glaringly not okay. So how many staff members in Scientology, how many executives, how many whoever people are that are reviewing this and reviewing over and over, read that and just didn't even bat an eye. They're just like, yeah, that checks out. Yeah, because why should a seven-year-old know there's something you're not computing, there's something in your mind and your mental image pictures that need to be addressed. You have engrams, something's in stimulation. All of this is so removed from the human experience. Of no, I object to it. And I have a right to my boundaries. I have a right to my own body to say who touches it and who doesn't. And I have a right as a child to be protected that I'm a vulnerable person. None of these conversations are in place. We don't have protection in place for children in these environments. Everyone's not a sexual predator in Scientology, but it just makes it so safe for them. And I feel like, yes, there's no policy that says, please go and molest small children. But the culture that's created by these things that people read and that filters back into people raising children and homes and all of this basically auditing stuff, 
TRs and ethics and things that just pervade your childhood, your home life, it just creates this culture of this all being acceptable. These are topics that I wanted to talk to my kids at an age-appropriate stage, but I was like, okay, I really need to find the tools now to talk about it. And this is what I love about this metaphor of the shark cage. This was one thing that I came across that I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant because it just creates this imagery in your mind. Because when we talk about sharks, we can talk about dolphins. We can say that in this metaphor, I'm not saying scientifically speaking, I'm just saying for the purpose of this metaphor, we can say that dolphins are the friendly ones and the dolphins are the ones that are going to keep us safe and they surround our shark cage and they're going to kick any of the sharks away. But then there are sharks that look like dolphins. And then, so then what does that mean? So then suddenly this framework allows you to have these deeper conversations in a way that's not upsetting, but in a way that makes sense. And also too, that relates to just any predatory behavior. It's not sexual. It's not necessarily anything like that, but it's just people out in the world. And the idea that you would view their behavior not necessarily what they look like or certainly not just what they say. That is such a great lesson, I would think, for kids. I love that you're able to use that for them. What a great find. It's so simple. The other thing as well, what's really helped me to understand when you're saying that it's not just to do with sexual abuse type scenarios, absolutely this can help in a person's work life and a person's intimate relationships, friendships, the whole works because one of the things that was really great to get a clear idea of is that a shark will often bump. They'll bump the shark cage first. They'll test it. They will just give it a bump and they'll give it a bump here. And you can start to recognize that first bump, hmm. which is so incredible because, of course, I didn't have a shark cage. I had to learn all of these things for myself. And this system really gave me that tool. You'll start to see it and you'll pick those sharks out straight away. They'll be the one that they'll just impinge upon your boundaries and it gives you that uncomfortable feeling. And the thing is, because I was always quite literal, like someone would have to say something directly to me that was offensive and then I'd be like, oh yeah, that person's an asshole. But what about those people that just, they bump against you, they bump against you and they just, over time, it can be a quite a devastating relationship. They can work their way into your life where they can become your best friend or your intimate partner. But when you can start to recognize those initial bumps, that's been really useful for me. I love that. Yeah. And just in the dating scenario, you'll find that they'll push up against and they'll test and they'll test. And yeah. So somebody who really respects your boundaries, that is a very positive thing. If they're not pushing up upon you and they're really allowing you your own space, these are all traits that are really good. I've had to oh, it's learn brilliant. a lot of You're teaching yourself and then you're going to be able to be such a fabulous role model for your kids. And I think you're talking about this bumping. It's testing. They're testing. How far can I go? How far can I push? And it's grooming. It's getting you accustomed to being bumped, to being pushed, to being invaded. And it makes me think of Scientology. I think that's what our childhoods were. There was so much bumping going on, but we didn't have anyone going, whoa, stop there. You cannot go farther. There were obviously one by one boundaries were removed if we ever had any. It makes me think of the Janes and what their early relationships with Danny Masterson must have looked like. And we can see some of those where, like Jane Doe 3, where she was in a relationship with him, but he was being so aggressive with them and he was bumping immediately hard. 
this kind of information just was not available back in that time period. This was the early stages of the internet and all the information was supposed to be held within Scientology. Scientology had the knowledge and all this. This shit is not in Scientology. You do not learn about boundaries. Boundaries are the first things that get annihilated are in your stops experience. and ridges, right? Boundaries are you Absolutely. objecting. They're objections that need to be overruled or handled. Not only that, but even the witnesses, not just the victims, no one expected this thing to be happening in their little swimming pool. No one expected this. Although, obviously, people found out. So they discovered it and then they didn't do anything with it. And back to the perfect hunting grounds. It really is. You have this giant predator shark and a bunch of little minnows swimming around and trouts and salmons and whatever. But there were no dolphins. Like, where were the dolphins in this situation? I don't know. There aren't any in Scientology. Absolutely. And it's the perfect hunting ground because they don't report to law enforcement. The reason why these things exist is to prevent people to dissuade people from committing crimes to create consequences for someone's actions because we can't string people up for committing these crimes we can't shoot them dead in the street oh do you know what i was watching last night my kids and i were watching i think it's called holes it's a bunch of kids they are digging holes out in the desert as punishment and i'm like this is and it's a large of my upbringing, to be honest. I remember when I was at the Pack Ranch, when I was, I was 13 years old, I was put on the ethics and correction group, which we were told it was the kids RPS. So one of the things that they had us do on a daily basis was to dig trenches. And I think that they just were like, yeah, that's what you do. You dig trenches. I know that we were clearing the drainage for the piping. I know that's purposeful, but I think the idea was like, get them digging, get them digging trenches. It's part of the punishment. This is what it's supposed to be. So that movie is, it's a little close to home for me. So in that movie, there's this really great sort of side story of this woman. And I think her name is Kissing Kate something. She falls in love with this black man. He repairs the schoolhouse or like he renovates the schoolhouse. And it's just this beautiful kind of relationship that's taking place. He ends up getting murdered because they share a kiss. And so then in revenge, she then goes around shooting the people that were involved. And her token is that she plants a kiss on them, with her lipstick, and leaves a kiss mark on the person that she's just killed. Anyways, I'm totally getting sidetracked here. But for me, I get it because it gives you some finality. In terms of sexual abuse, sexual assault, those sorts of things, and probably across other crimes too. But this is the one that I'm most familiar with. I feel like there is a sense of finality. There is a sense that justice has been done. And that's what the court system is supposed to bring for a victim. And we don't see it in proportion to the rate that it occurs. And that's the thing that I want to change. But how do we do that? We have to encourage victims reporting to police. We have to do that because we have to believe in that system because that is the only way that justice occurs. So that's why it's important in those types of groups and institutions like Scientology that reporting occurs. And that's why it's the perfect hunting ground currently, still to this day, because that does not occur. And because victims are blamed and because victims are punished. And so in order to turn anything around, we have to change those things. Yes, absolutely. And do you remember back during the Me Too movement, 
how powerful that was when suddenly women from all walks of life shared little pieces of their story and how many, how incredible the quantity of women that have experienced the same thing and never said a word or did say a word, said lots of words, and it didn't go anywhere. It creeped me out just how many predators there are and how protected, what a system of protection we have of enabling. And Scientology is just the perfect on-crack example of that, really. I can't think of another that's quite the same with all the control mechanisms and protections in place. We talked about this. Catholic Church is not the same. The Boy Scouts is not the same. Their policies don't allow this thing to happen to these people where it does in Scientology. It's all by design. I think another difference too, Christy, is yes, okay, so we've come to understand there's been a, a great exposure of positions of power taking advantage and committing crimes against other people in, let's say, less positions of power and who have felt that they couldn't report for fear of retaliation. But in Scientology, anyone can have that position of power. Anyone can really be a quote-unquote opinion leader. Anyone can really be an upstart and get ethics protection. Anyone can attain that level of protection even just by paying for a service. Oh, yeah, you raped that child? Come in and pay for a session, pay for an intensive, buy the basics. If you got Hubbard's technology, then suddenly you're going to be a better person. Oh, and this excuse to, oh, he's achieved the state of clear since then, should be all good now. And you're just like, what the fuck? This isn't real world shit. This is made up bullshit where justice, real justice never fucking occurs. And this isn't right because these victims still have this story inside them that has not been heard, that they have not been able to tell, and that there has been no consequences for these perpetrators. That's not a correct way for the world to operate. It's, you can feel so hopeless. You either get really mad and do something about it, or you just give up because you just feel so small, so unimportant, so devalued. Yeah, I agree. And then, or worse, you can't live with that pain. Right. It leads to very unhealthy coping mechanisms. Absolutely. If nothing you can do can change what happened and you can't get anyone to listen to you and you can't get anyone to dole out any justice or even stop the predator from praying, it's soul crushing. So yes, back to what you were saying. We keep creating awareness. We keep amplifying voices and these stories and we keep pressing how important it is to report outside of Scientology, how important it is to report to authorities. That's something that might make a difference in the long run. So the justice system has been around for a long time, the court system and laws around child protection. But what law enforcement failed to address for many years, up until only just right now, the people that they failed to protect are the people within these organizations. The people who had the care of children, imagine just the heartbreak, the heartache, the destruction, the crimes that they could have prevented if they had put these things in place prior, mandatory reporting and having some kind of interventions and having advocacy and having support. And it's absolutely mind-blowing that these are only recent interventions. These are very recent things. The fact that we now have phone lines, websites, chat lines, and that kind of thing that offer support, that offer trauma-informed counseling and support and advice, a place where you can just pick up the phone and chat to someone. I know I have done this a number of times, just being in an absolute state of 
panic and anxiety often triggered by something that has made me feel scared. And it relates back to this situation. I have this overwhelming fear. And so for me to be able to pick up the phone and be able to talk to someone straight away and to get some support. So these are all very recent interventions. We're doing some fantastic things in this space, but there is a lot more that we can do. And I think there still is that barrier of reaching into these organizations, creating advocacy for especially children in these organizations to get support and help. And that's really important. One of the things that we are absolutely all crying out against is this arbitration clause, which is completely abusive and just absolutely vile and disgusting, that some of the members in our community who were brave enough and decided to do something and take action against Scientology are now being faced with arbitration in civil suits, which is so crazy because we're talking about people escaping a prison environment a false imprisonment environment only to be forced by the court system to be brought back into those environments, that's something that we're going to continue to speak out against because that's something that needs to change. These protective mechanisms around religious organizations, particularly Scientology, who's very adept at using these things, how that protects perpetrators and how it continues to punish victims. Yeah, I'm so watching to see how this 11th Circuit appeal turns out it seems like a glaring just criminal situation and so the idea that judges feel handcuffed by this thing that Scientology pulled out and made everyone sign way back when but never used and this actual arbitration process doesn't actually exist and we all know but it's for businesses it's to protect businesses it's just insane that they operate as so many different types of entities using every loophole that there is possible and that our court system that we need to go to for justice is somehow bound by it. I'm so hopeful that these incredible attorneys that we have now, not that all the attorneys that have fought along the way aren't incredible, but I just feel like these few that we have at the moment, if anyone can do this, it's them. I'm hopeful and also fearful because I hate to get my hope up and only be let down, but I have to get my hope up. To use, it, I guess, an analogy, Scientology is like the giant squid because it has all these tentacles, all these ways and means of bringing you back down to drown you in silence yet again. It's not like the David and Goliath. You're just up against this big giant. It's like this squid that is just constantly changing and evolving and shifting. Oh, and now we have arbitration. So yeah, it's, oh, okay, so you can just put, make that up. You can commit crimes against children, then you can just make up bullshit to protect you. When is this going to end? This is absolute insanity that they have got million-dollar lawyers, money at their disposal. They can get the most expert legal advice. The situation when we were kids and we didn't have access to any of that sort of thing, Valeska Paris, Valerie Haney, they didn't have any of these means and they're just up against this ever-evolving, ever-shifting, ever-protected organization. And they're brave and they're willing to keep fighting it. And I know it's for all of us and I'm so grateful and proud. And yeah, we just all have our fingers crossed and we're postulating our heads off over here, praying even if we don't pray. You're talking about the squid, and I'm thinking of all this black ink squirting out, too, that keeps everything cloudy so you can't see where you're going, and no one can see that the thing is stabbing you and choking you. 
Yes, Scientology is a big giant squid. With all the bullshit things that you have to wrap your head around and then unwrap, then unravel, find out where all those things settled in your brain and trying to remove them. And it's just wild. And that's why we're going to all keep doing what we're doing. I think we're all very passionate about it. It's worth it. Trying is worth it. And we are making progress and we're making change and it might be slow and it might be tiny, but it builds and it builds. And over time, every single thing I think that we've tried has mattered, all mattered. It all built on itself. Did you ever think you'd be on a podcast or YouTube? Miriam, think about it. No. And here we are because we have to. Such a good point because it's interesting in my evolution in being able to talk about this topic. Like just from being a kid and not even being able to say the words, it was very difficult. And then to now, yeah, going through that evolution, going on aftermath, that was a big sort of challenge was something that I was very passionate about because I wanted what had happened to be made public. I had filed my police report in 2012. By this stage, it's 2017, five years where my case did not reach an outcome. And yet in five years... I didn't talk about my story. We came to a point where I was like, this needs to be known about. How long can you stay on this justice trail to get no outcome? In the meantime, you're like worried. I don't want to speak out. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to cause problems for the case. Am I going to create difficulties? Is this going to impact anything? There's all these things that you have to consider. So then in the meantime, these years go by and it's not being exposed. When I look to the Jane Doe's in this trial, I'm sure they had those same kind of crossroads and considerations. But they got to a point, I believe, where they were like, okay, our case is not going to be heard unless we speak out about this, unless we draw attention to it. And that also can become very important too. Yeah, when things are just sitting quietly, then you need to take action and you'll figure that out as you go. And I feel like we've learned a lot of lessons along the way of We've tried a lot of things. Gone over here. Okay, this is the new thing. This is going to work. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, we've tested so many things and tried so many things. And I think you learn that you can't put all your eggs in one basket and you can't just put your head down and not look up and reassess the horizon for what's changing, what's possible, what new maybe avenues or options might be out there. It's remarkable to see this stuff happening in court and remarkable that attorneys are willing to take these cases like big smart attorneys not just ambulance chaser attorneys that quality so it's the little pieces it's the media it's us speaking and growing this grassroots thing organically and broadcasting this however we can from every rooftop and letting every voice be heard this was quite a crescendo at the moment and i'm just again hopeful and also nervous to be hopeful but i'm hopeful and also just in terms of education, because a lot of the earlier conversations were around celebrities and it was just very limited. I think that probably a lot of people were hesitant to speak out in that space because it always came back to, oh, did you ever meet Tom Cruise or what was your interaction with John Travolta? And it always just gave this like icky feeling because it was never about the celebrities for us, nothing to do with the celebrities. And what we wanted to speak out about was the abuses that we had experienced often as children. And that was what was important. But now, how amazing our audiences are so well versed and so well educated in this realm of Scientology. 
They understand a lot of the language. They understand that there's so many mechanisms in place, that there's so many mental gymnastics that go on within Scientology. A lot of that barrier to understanding the crimes that took place is understanding this other layer. It's like the fatty layer before you get to the boat or the meat of it. There's a lot to understand. And certainly in this trial, it was important for the prosecution that the jury also understand that this was taking place in the Jane Doe's experiences, that there's layers to this, that it's not so straightforward as a victim experiencing a crime and then going, oh, I'm going to report to police. I'm going to go and report to law enforcement. They had to understand all of this in between because all of this in between is what tells the story, what we understand about the victim. Back to what you were talking about. When you went on Aftermath, that was just like earth shattering to me. It was earth shattering that this happened and that the story was out there and that it had been reported and that nothing had been done about it. It was just between you and Sina, I just, I've heard things growing up in Scientology. I've been exposed to some shitty things that happened to kids, a lot of shitty things. But that was just earth shattering. And the fact that it was known, covered up, and not important. So thank you, like, endlessly for doing that, for reaching that point right when you did, that you were willing. Because that was hard. That was hard. I know that you had made the decision to make it public. And so that was empowering for you. And then you had this platform to do it on great timing. But I know it was hard. And I just appreciate your willingness to do it and your stick-to-itiveness. Here you are still pushing away because that didn't change enough. Someone was saying to me the other day in a chat thread and one of these YouTube streams, probably on Aaron's channel, or it might have even been on ours, but it was that it took these things prior. So I would say going clear, aftermath, Mike Rinder's book, Leah's book, Aaron Smith Lovins, Growing Up in Scientology, hammering away at and educating people. To now, she was saying, you guys are like extra credit for us, but we understand because we went through 101 and 102 and 103. We're getting our master's degree now that we've reached you. And so we understand what was done to you. We wouldn't have understood it before. This education had to happen in layers just the way that it did. And now, we understand exactly what you're saying when you're saying it. And that really was so important. And I think it makes perfect sense because it's so complex. I completely agree with that. And what's interesting for me is that when you say about not enough had changed, in fact, nothing had changed. I'm talking in terms of internally within the church, making a change in the way that we've seen the impact of speaking out against the RPF, for example, we eventually saw that the RPF is allegedly is not a thing. I think right. it takes place in some other form, but it's not the same form that it was. We've seen an evolution. We hope, and I don't think that this has been annihilated completely, but I think maybe at least a reduction in coerced abortions. So there are impacts that you can have internally within the church. Infuriatingly, this literally makes my blood boil. There was no impact. So in my episode, you'll see, I think halfway through, there's a couple of the clips. There's one clip that has a Scientology statement. Scientology statement says something to the effect of when we became aware that the sexual abuse had occurred, when we became aware of this, he was expelled from the Church of Scientology. In fact, that's not true. They never expelled him. The apology. timing had nothing but, to do um, with that being when they discovered it. Correct. Absolutely correct. They had known for years before they're saying in that statement that they did. 
but I'll give them the fact that they're admitting it. Okay. Then also what was flashed up on the screen was an affidavit. What says that my mother wrote an affidavit before the airing of the show where she says that when she learned of the abuse that she then divorced him in 1998. Again, this is not the truth. She's told me that she found out when I was 12 years old at the ranch. In the affidavit, she said that when she found out that she divorced him, the divorce, I was in the Sea Org when that all took place and I was 14 at the time. So yes, the timing is all out in terms of when they're saying that they knew. But regardless, both the Church of Scientology and my own mother, who is still in the Church of Scientology, are both saying, yes, we learned of it, we knew about it, we expelled him or I divorced him. Where is the fucking police report? It's like what you were saying, Christy, this ink. They're just spraying off all this ink because until they start filing police reports about these crimes, then no, they have not changed. So back to where I want to affect a change in this statistic of reporting of these types of crimes, where in Scientology, it does not get reported. We just heard that in Deputy DA Errol Anson's statement. They do not report to law enforcement. And even as recent as 2017, in those two statements, they have not reported to law enforcement. They have not reported to police. And yet they admit publicly, they admit knowledge of it. In your scenario, your wolf just wandered off back out into population. Scientology didn't change him, help him, stop him. It did nothing except now yeah. somehow claim to distance themselves from him. A little. Right. It's wild. They kept him in the gold rep office in the Sea Org in a position of good standing. They never put him on the RPS. He was never punished for it. It's so absolutely wild. As I said, they never filed a police report. I was never told that was an option for me. For everything that I knew was that law enforcement and the government was evil and that that was never an option for me. So then they moved him out of the country. Then they moved me out of the country. I saw you put up some clips, Matt Pesh, his YouTube video where he talks about the cover-up of abuse in child sexual abuse or sexual abuses in Scientology and how they had like a fund that was put aside for making arrangements and that they would routinely, that their system was to just move the person out of the state. Basically, the intention is to move the person out of the jurisdiction. At the time when my mother's referring to with my dad, they got a divorce they then moved him so he's in the gold rep office in LA they then moved him to the gold rep office in the UK interestingly enough they moved him back from the UK to LA at a time when David Miscavige was coming out to speak at the IAS event and his senior said oh we need to get you out of here before David Miscavige arrives it's just with full knowledge I think Scientology generally because of their belief system around children. I can't wait for some cases to... So we've got Jane Doe 1 now that has added a layer onto her civil suit, right? It was trafficking and sexual assault, I think. As these things start to go forward and things like that you're talking about, these references get to finally be included in court. And as more cases come forward, because I think that there's going to be an outpouring. I really do. I think that as it becomes safe, as we navigate this arbitration wrinkle, I think there's people just sitting on the sidelines watching patiently to see if the coast is clear to pursue these things. And I think it is becoming safe. We just have to keep pushing and being patient. And while we're waiting, using these platforms and just broadcasting that 
it's safe to come out. It's safe to start having this conversation publicly. It's safe to create awareness. It's safe to take legal action. We can do something about it if we all try. I was coming out of Scientology. And as I was realizing these things and starting to come across looking at media and especially at that time my go-to was tony ortega's blog and it was like every few months i would just jump on and have a look like oh see what had happened it was almost like a lookout oh i'll just refresh and just see like you said is the coast clear yet has something big enough happened to affect a change and in fact there were bursts and there were things that around that time period we had debbie cook taking the stand in her deposition and it was just like shockwaves and but there was a lot of things that were going on at the time when I was coming out through it. I think I was looking for the closure. I wanted to know that something big enough had happened to create enough change that my heart could rest a little bit. Mm -hmm. I could feel okay a little bit. Because I think the reality is while your abuser is active, you don't feel safe. The truth of the matter is that none of it was ever enough. And eventually I got to the point where I was like, oh, oh, I get it. <laughs> I'm also supposed to take part in this. Oh, I get I'm it. I'm also supposed to. <laughs> right. It's not enough to sit on the sidelines and champion them in quiet. I have had people who said, happy to talk with you on Messenger, but I can't like any of your posts. This is back when I was posting things that were anti-Scientology. And that's great. So they didn't have any problem with me or any problem with the things that I was saying. They agreed that they were truthful, but they just didn't want to like any of my they didn't want to put a comment or whatever. So it's okay. You cannot do anything when you're sitting in the sidelines, silently, quietly cheering people on. At some stage, if it's important enough to you, you go, oh, okay, I guess I, yeah, I've got to step out to that arena. I've got to put some skin in the game. It's going to be rough, but mm -hmm. I've got to throw down in there because it's not enough. I think many people have seen that along the way. I think Leah Remini, she talks about that kind of similar thing as well. I'm sure you've had your experience. I'm sure each of us have reached those points in our lives where we've Yeah, because I think you're trying to escape this thing and yeah. you get away, but you don't get full relief. There's some relief, that pressure or that daily pain is not happening, but there's no resolution. And especially when you know that it's still happening, the predator's still preying and the protector's still protecting, and there's more victims forming and being groomed and eaten and chewed up and spit out every day. That's tough. But yeah, I think there are people sitting on the sidelines and watching, and I'm watching on YouTube right now, people popping up that have never spoken out before that are feeling like it's okay, that they can do this. Maybe not everything, but just starting with a little bit, talking about things they feel safe discussing. And from my personal experience, it's like floodgates opening. Once you start... It just all needs to come out, and it's so empowering, and I feared it for a long time because I didn't want to give up my privacy, and I didn't want Scientology to come after me again, but I realized I was just hiding, and that was not cool. It wasn't cool to just be over here hiding. That's not who I am. There's no relief or power in hiding. There's just not. And so people are regularly saying to us, why don't you just move on with your life? Okay, <laughs> I tried to do that. It's not enough. It would be enough. Like you said recently, oh, if we left and everything was just good, we would just move on, carry on. But things are not good. There's still things that we have to deal with. There's things that we need to do. And there's people still being victimized. And so I'm glad we're here doing it. I'm thrilled to be doing it with you and so many, just 
brave kids. It's just amazing to me the power, the empowerment, and the community of our second generation and third generation kids. Who knew we had so many heroes in our midst? And the thing is, that's how we were raised. It's going to be important to us. It's how we were raised, and we are the ones that can talk about it in a very in-depth way with understanding of nuances of having traveled through and educated ourselves, traveled through trying to figure things out and doing a lot of mental grappling and that sort of thing. And so do all that effort, but then don't tell anybody about it. It doesn't make sense that you can help other people and all of this healing and also the way that society then moves forwards and recognizes things like Okay, now we understand more about cults. Now we understand more about coercive control. Now we understand more about domestic violence. Now we understand more about false imprisonment. How do we understand those things? It's because people have had these conversations. If each one of us just said, oh, I'm just going to move on. Imagine where we'd be as a society. Absolutely. Yeah, it's remarkable. History has been changed and led by whistleblowers and brave warriors and people that stood up at great risk. And I think we're watching that happen again now. It's very powerful. Thank you all for sharing your truth and experiences. This has been lots of great information, but a lot of details that could be really hard to digest, especially if you are a survivor of abuse as well. So please remember to check in with yourselves. For more information, support, and advice regarding sexual assault, the largest national helpline in the U.S. is RAIN. That's R-A-I-N-N. Their website is www.rainn.org. You can speak with the trained staff member via the online chat or call their free helpline, 800-656-HOPE. That's 800-656-4673. We're just so happy and appreciative of anyone that is listening because this is really meant to be a part of community. And we're here all together, so we're very appreciative as you're a part of our village. So thank you so much. 